got a show for you. I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast. The friends will be along in a little bit. I am recording this in the guest bedroom at my friend Tim's house, where uh, a good deal of home remodeling and construction is going on. There are workmen up on the roof right now installing solar panels. And there are also three small dogs who live here. So if you hear any odd extra noises on this episode that aren't me, it's one of them. (laughs) It's either workmen on the roof or small dogs. So there is a climate strike going on today. I would urge anyone who thinks that's a bad idea or not needed or whatever to at the very least listen to what these folks are saying. It affects all of us whether we want to be affected by it or not. Read up on this, look at the actual science and try to understand what's going on. This is real and it's not going away. So at least try to sound like you know what you're talking about when you disagree. Don't just quote some random geologist from your church who thinks it's all bunk. I'm aware that example is oddly specific. Also, my voice is a bit scratchy today because there were some men smoking cigars at the table next to me at the bar last night. Anyway, that's enough about current events. Uh, I've commented on something in the current zeitgeist. Now let us speak of it no more. Strangely recommends, in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who imposed this rule? Grabbers. This independent Irish creature feature is the perfect thing to watch with a room full of friends. We've all seen a dozen monster films where an arbitrary rule is imposed to keep you safe. Don't make a sound. Don't look at it. Don't have sex. Don't swear. Don't sing. Don't not sing. Don't! When an alien creature begins to terrorize the denizens of a small isolated island off the coast of Ireland, the local constables discover that the only way to keep yourself safe from their attacks is to be, wait for it, drunk. To tell you anything more would probably spoil this film, which is a delight from start to finish. I think the best way to describe it would be Waking Ned Divine meets Tremors. Grab a few pints grab some mates, and get grabbed by the grabbers. There, that was only 166 words. That's plenty. I love this film. This is my chat with my dear friend, Tim Mannix. Tim is a fantastic magician who is based here in Fresno, California. Tim and I are actually doing a little magic show together this weekend down at Review. It's my first stage magic show that's not like a small-scale storytelling magic show, so I'm actually really excited and kind of a bit nervous. Tim and I ended up talking a lot about performing magic, not in a nuts-and-bolts kind of way, but in sort of an emotional arc kind of way, and I just think it's really, really fascinating to talk to artists, not necessarily about the specifics of their process, but kind of the feelings that they're trying to evoke in their audience and the types of connection they're trying to have. So I hope you folks enjoy my chat with Tim Mannix. Mm-hmm. 
and performing artist Tim Mannix. We are in his kitchen at his house in beautiful Fresno, California. Hello, Tim. Hello. Hello to everybody out there in Radio Land or Podcastville or whatever it's called. I, I still want to call it Radio Land. I feel like that's... I love that term. It's <laughs> nostalgic and cool. So you are primarily a magician. It is. I mean, that's the claim. You know, right. there are conflicting reports sometimes, but for the large and most part, yes. Why Why do you say that there are conflicting reports? Because, well, you know what? I used to be, uh, I think it's a compliment, but I used to have people come up to me after the show and go, you know, you're really more of a comedian than you are a magician. <gasps> and the magician part of me was like, oh, no. They think, think I suck. You know, because yeah. I immediately go to the most negative. Uh, possibility and I think what they were saying is and I, I I've come to adopt this is they're saying I didn't expect to laugh as much right at a magic show as as I did so that was it's kind of a surprise plus if they're saying your comedian isn't a comedian an entertainer too right right okay is it, is it also because uh, you know I've, I've watched your shows over the years and you know I see a lot of magic shows and I feel like you have at least in what you perform publicly you have a lot less of like what some other magicians would call the knacky stuff you're not doing complicated palming you know yeah. you're not palming six no. coins and doing a muscle pass and all that no. kind of stuff no uh that would not be me and um i am super okay with that i mean i'm kind of looked down upon by those types of magician you know it's not a real magic show Hey, to me it is. To them it is. And that's right. all that matters. And I've adopted that uh, philosophy that, look, as long as the audience, you know, thinks... I mean, the method doesn't matter. Right. The, they don't know how you get from point A to point B. So I'd rather work smarter. Maybe I'm a lazy magician, but I'd rather work... Focus on the presentation and make sure that the method always works, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I would rather have a surefire thing that doesn't make me look skillful to other magicians. Yeah. But that gets the story to happen. And, it, and I, I read a quote one time which really made me feel really good. Martin Nash, who's, a, I think, from the 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. a, a major card guy, uh, said his advice, I guess, to magicians was, if you are an amateur magician do it or a hobbyist, do it the, the hard way. Mm -hmm. If you're a professional magician... Do it the easy way. And what he was saying was, you have to, it has to work every single time. You can't have any possibility for flaws or for it not working. So make it easy on yourself because you have to deliver when people are paying 100% of that time. Right. It's sort of, a, there's a similar like kind of ideal, ideology with jugglers that you don't do your hardest five tricks in a show. Right. You do the five tricks a level below that because you know that you can hit them 99% of the time. Correct. You know, yeah. I, there's always that 1% of the time where a sudden gust of gravity comes through and the juggler <laughs> drops. It's... But, you know, I, I think you kind of, somewhere in the back of people's minds, they expect a juggler because it's hard. Right. Uh, if everybody could juggle, we'd all be doing it. So right. if it... That way they're like, oh, oh, that's right. It, it, not everybody gets it 100% of the time. It's difficult what we're seeing. Because if it's always perfect, they figure, well, it's easy for them. So I think it, it, it's kind of like the two perfect. We have a philosophy in magic that 
if a trick is too perfect, people are like, well, that's impossible. I'm not even going to buy into the fact that this could actually even happen. It's too perfect. Right. You know, and so you sometimes will actually do an extra move or walk away. or So you give them an out in their mind where they say, I think maybe that when he brought his hand over, he palmed it. You know, yeah. Because you have to make it look almost imperfect if it's too perfect so that people can plausibly in their own minds say, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think maybe that's when it happened. Okay. Otherwise, they won't even buy into the premise that this could be done. It's like, okay, forget it. I'm not, I'm not coming along for the ride. Does so, that make sense? Yeah. So like that intentional imperfection is actually what makes a, a trick or a performance piece something that people can connect to. Yeah. That's where you get the wow factor. When it's too perfect, they're like, it's not. You did it with technology. That's, oh, no. uh, that's my just... cat. <laughs> that's my cat. And I call him... Uh, Friggy. Friggy the cat. Yeah. Well, we'll see uh, how this turns out. I might make you, I might make, I might give you some sheets and you'll have to re-narrate the whole. Oh, uh... uh, all right. That's fine. So you've actually taken your show to the Magic Castle before. Oh, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, for those Magic Castle purists out there, I don't want you, I have worked there for the last 15 years and I've done what, what is called the family shows. Mm -hmm. So, uh. So if you're thinking, wow, he, he said he played a week there, you know, because there's an echelon of magicians. Uh, okay, playing week. Bye. That, uh, okay, that's uh, <laughs> Siri. Oh, my God. Um, he's responding to me. Um, I changed the sex on my Siri guy. Uh, it's a guy now instead of a girl. Anyway, lots of possibilities here in the future. The future, <laughs> the future is now... Where were we? Oh yeah, so I have I've been there for fifteen years and I've done the, the family uh, bit, which is great. It's kind of my favorite audience because you've got the mix of adults and you've mm -hmm. got the mix of kids. And uh, I mean, but and what I why I'm talking about the echelon is some magicians. I'm not saying who uh, look down upon family entertainers like oh you're not a real magician that thing again. <clears throat> but I always want to shove them in front of a sea of 300 kids and say, do 45 minutes. Yeah. And let tell me after that whether or not we have a skill. And I think you'll agree that we do. You may not want to do it, but you'll agree that, oh my God, it takes something to do this. Well, the, you know? I mean, uh, Di Vernon, who's, you know, one of the widely considered, I know that there are some detractors, but widely considered like one of the greatest card magicians of the 20th century mm -hmm. would practice in front of children. Yeah, because children, no filter. Well, no filter. They'll just tell you they're brutal. Kids will be like, "It's over there." Yeah, if it's not in that that hand, it's got to be in that one. Yeah, and ninety eight percent of the time, they're correct. It is, you know. Adults, there's two things going on. Adults overthink because mm -hmm. they're sophisticated, and um, and they're awfully polite. We've we've conditioned them over the years to be polite to clap. Uh, Meagerly, even for kind of right. a lame trick, because that's they don't miss the cue. Kids are like, I remember one little kid said one time because I was pattering about something, and a little girl was like, "What's taking so long?" And I was like, "That is a great question." She's like, "Why are why are we? It's a magic show. Why are we not getting to the magic? Chop yeah. chop! I'm yeah. here for magic." And I was like, "That's a great question." Uh, the other thing was uh, they'll they'll say they'll say boo, and, and you know I. I, I, I just hey no booing come on this makes me homesick or whatever I say something that <laughs> you know nails them 
it just lets them know, hey, I own this space for the next 45 minutes, so yeah. don't give me no shit. But, um, but I love kids. I, if I was king of, of magicdom, and I would say to uh, whoever is out there, if you're going to go on to whatever uh, facet or uh, area of magic you go to, you got to do two years in the trenches, and that's two years with kids, because <laughs> they will nail you. Oh, they yeah. make you get to the magic. They make you see the logic in what you're doing. Why are you doing that? You know, what's taking so long? You know, uh, just funny little questions that are because they're if they're hey if yeah. you can impress a a bunch of nine year old boys and they come up to you and say you're a really good magician, they may not mean the magic. They mean you held our attention. You we were with you for the ride the whole time. Because, man, talk about no filter. They're on you like white on rice, you know. They yeah. will kill you. They will eat your lunch if you don't get to the point, get to the magic, wow them in the first three to five minutes. So, And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the, the interesting thing is if you can hold it with that audience, when you do then bring what you're doing to adults, yeah. they don't know why, they, why it connects with them better. Right. But it does. It does because... One of the best things I ever saw in a lecture was uh, uh, Tony Clark, and it was just kind of a warm-up. Mm -hmm. And he had a little tennis ball, and he came out and he said, we're going to start the lecture in a little bit. And he was kind of chatting about something. And he would throw the tennis ball to each one of us. Mm -hmm. And then the person would throw it back. You saw that nerdy magician, that fear of, oh, God, can I throw it back? Am I going to throw like a girl? But everybody kind of was able to lob it back. And he just kept chatting with us and throwing the ball underhanded and back and forth and back and forth. And I think he pretty much got to everybody. Maybe there was 25 people there. It was at the Magic Castle in the parlor. And he said, now the reason I just did this, I, at one point, I connected with each one of you, just for a moment. Right. And so, because we had that connection, we had to, to have that ball come back to us, to catch it or to throw it. And he said, that's what you should do with each of your audiences, as best that you can. Even for a moment, connect with them. So they feel like you're just looking at them. You're right. making the point, whatever it is. And so I never forgot that. And I I tend to do that um, knowing Lero, knowingly with my audience. I really try to connect with them as human beings. Because I try to think of it as this is our show. I mean, you, you may not be in it, but we're in this thing together. Let's have the next 45 minutes or however long uh, fun for us. Because I'm, I'm having fun. I pretty much can ensure that they will too, to right. whatever degree. It's, it's, it's that, that thing where a show is a liminal space that only exists one time. Mm -hmm. And so many artists that I see don't respect that space because yeah. they're like, oh, I got to get through it or got to get done with it or whatever. Yeah. And it, they often, you know, people say like stop and smell the roses or whatever, but they often miss, I feel like, that moment where they could, something could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we've all been to the show where there are four or five audience members, and we're one of them. And and sometimes the artist just totally makes it a special connection, and it's fine. Yeah. And you're like, I was there. I was at that one. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just the worst feeling to be in that audience because it's not working, and the performer's not working with yeah. it, and it just becomes awkward. Uh, well, they have they have some idea about the audience. You know, yeah. that because there's so few people that, whatever, fill in the blank. It's not going to be good or it's not worth it or I'm wasting my time, whatever it is. And it's like, hey, if you're being paid, 
they deserve as good of a show as anybody else, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and sometimes one of some of the best moments, because the heat's off, I kind of relax when the, hey, it's just us. Yeah. I'm amongst friends. And then we, you almost, for me, end up a little more personal, because you have the time and the space to connect with them, you know, where are you from, or, you know, whatever you're asking or trying to get out of them. Uh, I've had some great, I, one time I had, um, like eight people at the Magic Castle. It was the last show of the day, and I said, mm -hmm. well, you know, do it anyway. And it was a fun show. We had a great time. They laughed, you know. Uh, I've had the the opposite thing happen where it's total deadpan. It's like, I, I, you know, I'm like, it's there's just six of you here. <laughs> I can see you. I can hear you breathing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. It's as if you've been forced to be here. I'm so sorry, but... Yeah. We're gonna get through this, uh, but I find. Does somebody have your children? Right. What's happened? What am I not aware of? Because uh, <laughs> if you need to go, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, something's holding you back. So, um, but I find people are often very generous in that situation. Mm -hmm. They know, oh God, the guy's only got six people, and right. You know, um, I did a show. One of the best shows. I shouldn't say that. One of the most interesting experiences I ever had was. This was years ago when I was kind of first starting out. I I, I accept this. Uh, it's a what do you call it? Uh, elderly show, senior show, senior show. Mm -hmm. we call it. And I'm like, okay, it's over in North Hollywood. It's like, oh, what am I doing on a Tuesday afternoon? Okay, I'll go. And um, I suit up and I show up and I got my stuff, and I'm gonna do my shtick, my regular stuff. You know, you try and gear it. Because elder people, elderly people are a little bit like kids in that they don't process things sometimes as quickly as others, or it needs to be large and visual. Sometimes they wheel them in on a gurney, and it's like, yeah, enjoy the show. Yeah. And it's like, so it's like, why are they here? But it doesn't matter. They're paying me. Right. This particular facility said, uh, I'm all set up. I'm ready to go. They're filing them. Oh, and by the way, um, they're all Russian, so they're non-English speaking people. <laughs> <laughs> and I said... Okay, that would have been an important piece of information to know. And I said, I'm doing it anyway. So I love situations like that. It's like, now how am I going to get out of this? Right. But magic's a form of communication. Right. And uh, there's an A and a B and a C. And if you're not able to communicate that, that's a separate issue and a separate problem. But um, I thought I really need to rely upon, I did my basic show, whatever it was. At the time, and I, you know, everybody knows pick a card, any card. Uh, they, when you show the card, that sort of thing, you find the card, that's easy. So I had to kind of stick to that side of my show. And then I just patted her. The nurses were dying because I kept, you know, I had a guy come up, he was blowing up a balloon. I don't remember why. Uh -huh. I don't know what that trick is, but he was having a hell of a time. And it was funny. Visually, it was just funny. And I, yeah. I was like, now use both lungs this time. And uh, the nurses were on the floor because. Yeah. The, they're all deadpan. They have no idea what I'm saying. Right. But they had a great time. Yeah. I did whatever I did. I don't know if I made a rabbit appear or something. But I focused on the communication rather than the trick. I mean, if the premise of the trick is good, they're going to get it. Right. So just focus on what is happening and how best simplistically can I communicate that. And, and, and it turned out just fine. Now, I wouldn't want to do a slew of those. But... It was a great exercise in uh, in uh, skill and communication and and acting. How do I how do I get them from A and B and C on each of these little pieces? And and they laughed. I don't know what they were laughing at. 
I mean, they 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 smiled. They had a good time. What do I know? Well, it's it's that that thing, you know, like you look at Chaplin being one of these early cinema successes. Yeah. Because there was no dialogue. You didn't need any dialogue. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so interesting how cinema has grown into being a visual language. Even movies that aren't you know, even movies that have tons of dialogue are mm-hmm. still using that visual storytelling to reinforce yeah. or sort of add things. You know, someone they'll go over to someone's house and their house is messy. And it's like you that tells you something about the character. Correct. You know, show, don't tell and all that. And mm-hmm. I I think it's really interesting when you look at different live performance, how some performance artists are up on stage and they can communicate so much so quickly with so little Mm -hmm. because I think they've spent the time figuring out how to get a point across quickly and economically. Exactly. Because often you simply don't have the time to do it. And, and that's, I've, you know, that's a great exercise is to videotape your show and then watch it without the sound on and, and do people, what is happening here? What is, what is, do can I follow on? Could another person follow along? Essentially, know what was occurring. Mm. You know, it, it's a great point and great exercise. You know, because it should be about the A and the B and the C. I mean, mentalists get a bad rap, and probably rightly so, uh, many times because they talk so much compared mm-hmm. to other performers. Right. And some of them are dull as dust. I mean, they they. They're as interesting in person as they are on stage, which is not that interesting. And if you're a mentalist out there, do not be offended. You're probably not one of those I'm talking about, right? <laughs> uh, so, but they, I don't think they get to the point quick enough. Um, and, and, you know, we all have to sell the implausibility of what's happening. And if that means stating the obvious, right. to keep, oh, right, 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 remind them of that. That's why we often will recap. But nobody likes to be talked to death. And, uh, and I think when you get a little heady and sophisticated with your presentation, that can be kind of a slippery slope. It's like, can you get to the thing already because you're losing me? I'm falling asleep. You know? What is it about selling the implausibility that it, like, attracts you? Like, why? I don't want to just ask, why do you do magic? Because like, there's a lot of reasons to do magic. It, it's fun. It's yeah. nerdy. You know, it's something to fill time. There's all these things. But yeah. But that that's something that you've mentioned a couple times in this chat. It's just like selling the implausibility of what's happening. And even thinking about it in terms of, well, you have to build in little mistakes so it mm-hmm. becomes plausible. Well, I, well, and somebody brought that to my attention. I'm sure it was in a book. And I thought, that is really incredible. I mean, I... You could go the whole far route, like Doug Henning, if you've ever seen clips of him, you mm-hmm. know, something happens. I mean, I've heard regular comedians making fun of Doug Henning. <gasps> a flower appeared, you know. Yeah. He's more amazed almost in the audience. But what that did is it sold the implausibility of it. Do you realize what just happened? There was nothing there, and something appeared, you know. Isn't that cool? Which is essentially what he was saying. Right. And uh, and people, he was a likable enough personality that people came along with him. And um, I, I'll give you an example. The one example, the stark example for me was, uh, there's a trick called the chair suspension. And for those mm-hmm. not familiar with it, it's just two chairs go face to face and a board rests atop them. And you put a person, generally a kid, a kind of a kid mm-hmm. show thing, and it's... Uh, and then during the course of it, one 
one chair is taken away and then the board is lifted uh, from underneath the person and they it's not a levitation it's a suspension so they stay suspended in a prone position mm -hmm. just by their head resting atop that one chair back right so I bought that thinking well somebody said I should and I can charge more to me it was a economics decision right. I'm not crazy about the trick um, but uh, in the course of kind of doing it, I, I would I would phone it in and put the get up there and uh, some people it was kind of flat. It was like oh mysterious, um, <clears throat> but I, I just did it to add to the bottom line of my show. And I'll float your kid if you want. Uh, it's kind of a clunky thing to carry around. I wasn't married to the idea. If somebody said get rid of it, I would have probably drop kicked it straight out of the show. However, when I read this thing, uh, I thought. Oh, that's what if I what if I what if I got on board with my own trick? Mm -hmm. What if I sell the implausibility of this trick? And I said, I don't think I'm going to do that. When I pulled the chair out, I used to just discard it. It's like, what do you do? You sit on a chair. So why don't you sit on this chair? Why would I? Okay, now why would I sit on this chair? You know, you walk through the logic of it. What would hold up the other end if you pulled that? Out? I thought, what about a helium balloon? Now. Unknown to me, other people had come up, but I hadn't seen anybody do that. Right. But I thought, well, I'm going to get a helium balloon and tie it on there. And that way, when I pull the chair out, I can sit on the chair and look up at this thing like, holy cow, how is this working? You know, I would look underneath the chair like, okay, I don't even believe this was working. So I was kind of like with the audience. Right. And then I would take a pair of scissors out and look at the audience like, shh, don't tell them, but I'm going to cut the balloon. And I would reach up and I would build it like, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to and I'd cut the balloon and you could hear the audience gasp when the balloon floated upward and away and then they gasped why I don't know a second time when I went because the string would fall underneath mm -hmm. the thing and I would cut the string <gasps> another gasp oh, why ask why just keep going and then when I pulled the board out because I used an applause sign in my show it's a little hokey but it's funny and um, I thought why don't I put an applause sign on the on the back of this board because people would be I would sell it well enough that people would be like kind of hung there like oh my god they're just staring because by the way silence is a reaction it's an uncomfortable reaction for performers but dead silence it can either be bored right. or they could be stunned into holy cow what's happening and that's where I got them to I was able to get at least half of them to like oh my god and then when I would turn this board and it would say applause, ah! they'd, they'd immediately go into this applause thing. And then I'd put it all back together and the kid would come off. The kid would take a bow. I rehearsed the kid so yeah. that he knew to step up on the little step and take a bow. And it was all about the kid. Right. So I realized I just elevated that entire procedure, that trick, to something completely different than what it was because I finally got on board you know about because it was more of a puzzle before and now it became kind of a wow mm -hmm. so I thought all right I'm I'm digging this implausibility factor that you got to build it in or sell it or or just include it in your performance you know actors we you know when you play a drunk you don't really over but you just include it in your performance you don't it's not drunk first and then line second it's like no you're looking for a way to get say what you're trying to say, even though you're you're inebriated. So sometimes when I just include it, it, it works much better.
Well, I can't think of a better note to end on. So we will call that good. Thank Absolutely. you so much for chatting with me about of magic and uh, getting on board with your own implausibility. I yeah, like yeah, yeah. Because what we do is sort of amazing by itself. I mean, people say to you, I'm sure all the time. And by the way, I remember coming to your show the first time I saw it and I'm like, why are there only 20 people here? You know, <laughs> I don't understand. I, that's a great reaction from an audience member yeah. to go, there should be 400 people here. This is crazy. So I think when we build things like that interact, people will have that reaction. I, I can't believe I'm only one of 29 mm -hmm. people here, you know. Um, so anyway, I wanted to say that. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Please come back anytime. Of course. Hokey fright. Have you heard about The Beyond? This 1981 horror film was directed by Lucio Fulci and written by Dardano Sacchetti, Giorgio Maurizio, and Lucio Fulci. From a story by Dardano Sacchetti. Oh my gosh, I have no idea how to pronounce any of those. Sorry. I include the details that this was written by three people and that the director was one of them to underscore how bug nuts this film is. Sometimes you see a film written by a group of people, looking at you, Transformers, where you can tell that there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen. The story lacks cohesion and the film exhibits wild shifts in tone. Not so with The Beyond. This film knew exactly what it wanted to be, but what it is, I'm still struggling with. Ostensibly, this is the story of a woman who inherits a big spooky hotel out in the middle of nowhere, yet also somehow close enough to New Orleans for people who died during the events of the film to be buried there without comment. So, make of that what you will. A mysterious symbol etched on the basement walls leads to the opening of a bricked-off area and the unleashing of... Well, the film never quite makes that clear. Dead bodies are being reanimated, yet not always, and sometimes they are horribly mangled, and sometimes they look normal. It's... confusing. Everything builds to an all-time WTF conclusion that kind of comes out of nowhere, yet maybe ties in with something from earlier. And yet, that kind of ending is sort of compelling when you realize that the film has had a cosmic horror angle from the very beginning. You could call it a horror film, a zombie movie, a haunted house flick, or a gore fest, but none of those labels would quite capture everything that's going on here. And on top of that, adding yet another level of weirdness, this film is whatever the horror equivalent of a spaghetti western would be. Marinara horror? Is that offensive? I don't know. Neapolitan nightmare? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please don't at me, Italian people. Well, actually, wait, please do. If I need to be educated, let's do this. I would love to be educated. Anyway, the movie is Italian. But the acting and story are all in English, although often with some dubious dubbing. Labels aside, this film has some downright creepy stuff in it, and most of the practical effects hold up incredibly well, with one notable exception. There's a blind character in this film, and whatever kind of contact lenses they were using to achieve the effect do not stand up to a high-definition transfer. Cheesy contacts notwithstanding, this film is a wonder to behold, as bizarre situations just keep abounding. This film has all kinds of weird nonsense. A cursed book, a zombie dog, a blind woman walking down the middle of the freeway for kicks, and a gun-toting hero with the memory of a goldfish. Fun fact! 
The cursed book is called the Book of Ibon, which is the same name and kind of book as created by Clark Ashton Smith, a contemporary and friend of one Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Ol' H.E.P. himself referenced the Book of Ibon, just as Smith was known to reference Lovecraft's bunkum book, The Necronomicon. Nerds have been doing this stuff for a lot longer than the internet was cataloging it, folks. My favorite bit of whimsical fuckery in this flick, though, would have to be Joe the Plumber. Yep, that's his name. Joe is a barrel-chested, bearded bear of a man who walks off the set of any 70s porn flick and directly into this. He almost looks annoyed when he's shown an actual plumbing issue and asked to fix it. Joe's laconic demeanor and penchant for understatement are immediately endearing. Frankly, this guy is worth the price of admission all on his own. When shown a basement with three feet of water in it, his first reaction is, Yep, you've got a leaky pipe. Class. Look, I'm not saying this film is any good, but at least now you've heard about it. Song of the Week, 10,000 Cattle. So this is an old cowboy song that was collected by the Robbins Music Corporation in a little chapbook called American Cowboy Songs that was published in the early 1930s. This book just has a pile of these old cowboy songs. There's no credited authors, no history on any of the songs, but... A lot of them are a lot of fun. There's some old favorites in here that you've heard of, like Big Rock Candy Mountain, Home on the Range, and Jack of Diamonds. But uh, 10,000 Cattle just kind of struck me because it's this really sad song where a cowboy has lost a whole herd of cattle and lost his gal, you know, classic country type stuff. But then he says he's in gambling hells, not halls, hells. And I just found that really, really fascinating. So this is the song of the week, 10,000 Cattle.
gambling, health delaying, 10,000 cattle straying. In gambling, health delaying, 10,000 cattle straying. That about does it, folks, for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you folks are enjoying the stuff I'm creating. If you are enjoying the stuff I'm creating, please consider becoming a supporter of this podcast over on Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the art that I'm making and also get access to some little exclusive things that I put up just for patrons. Sometimes I put up episodes early, etc. You can find out all about that by heading over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash strangely. Also, if you have any comments, questions, thoughts about the podcast, you'd like to stay in touch, maybe you have a weird old uh, you know, knife that your granddad used to own that you want to get rid of because you're worried it's cursed, you can mail that stuff to me by sending it to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. I look forward to hearing from you. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is normally produced in fairly fine, fiscally responsible Fairhaven, Washington. However, this episode is being produced on the road in incredibly sunny and a little bit too hot for my bones, Fresno, California. I will be back in Bellingham for next week's episode, and I look forward to seeing what happens next. I've got a whole pile of interviews left over from Edinburgh Fringe that I'm releasing uh, through the month of October. I've got some really spooky stuff planned and I'm going to be doing my first holiday special for Halloween, so stay tuned for that. Until next time, I hope you folks have a great day. Alright, so uh, I believe you have a joke for us? I do. Alright, here it is. Alright. What is the difference between a Hoover and a Harley? I don't know. It's pretty easy. On a Hoover, the dirt bag is on the side. <laughs> Pass it along. Thank you. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production.